Welcome to the Keeping Kids Safe podcast. My name is Karen Cohn. I am the co-founder of the Zach Foundation for Children's Safety. This is your number one resource for all things related to your child's emotional, physical, and social well-being. Now I'd like to introduce my co-host and my friend, the executive director of the Zach Foundation for Children's Safety, Megan Ferraro. Hi, Megan. Hi, Karen. It's good to be here with you today. Yes, it's so great to be here with you as well here at the National Water Safety Conference in Dallas, Texas. Yes, we are so excited to welcome to the podcast Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who is an American politician serving the U.S. Representative House from Florida's 23rd Congressional District. You were first elected to Congress in 2004. And as a mother of three, you have worked to prioritize the safety and security of our nation's youth. You've Congresswoman Wasserman Schultz first authorized the first federal pool and spa safety legislation, the Virginia Graham Baker Pool and Spa Safety Act. Since its passage in 2007, there have been no drain entrapment deaths in any public pools in the United States. And really, this legislation opened up a conversation and a dialogue around drowning prevention in our country that hadn't existed before. So... Thank you, and welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you, and, uh, and and always wonderful to have an opportunity to raise awareness and talk about the impact that we can have in reducing the, the number of kids that drown, because it's still the number one killer of children between one and four years old in this country, and number two for kids under 14 through accidental death. That's right. And you are so passionate about um, water safety and drowning prevention. Some say you bleed chlorinated pool water. <laughs> and so I know how I got involved into the, in this space. And I wonder how you as a legislator, what drew you to drowning prevention? So about 25 years ago, I was asked to join the National Safety Council Advisory Board in my state. And we had a um, you know, sort of a, a day long forum with Safe Kids Worldwide. And they brought to my attention during that day-long forum that the number one killer of children through accidental death in Florida, um, this was in 1997, um, at the time, under five years old, was drowning in residential pools. I, I did not have kids at the time, but I was a young legislator, and we were, my husband and I were you know, talking about you know, starting to try to have a family, and I could not wrap my mind around that in Florida, of all places, that that drowning in pools could be such a tremendous problem and that I didn't know it. I mean, it, it sounded I mean it's it sounded almost epidemic. And and how had and I asked them, well, has anyone ever tried to legislate about this? I mean, has anyone tried to actually like, what are the things that you could do to reduce drowning? So they talked to me about putting, you know, barriers and you know, safety barriers and alarms and obstacles in the path of a child so that when supervision lapsed, you know, you have it less likely that, that they end up in the pool. And I said, well, I, I am going to do that. We, we cannot wait one more year uh, and allow this statistic to stand without trying to make sure we do something about it. Um, so it took me three years to pass the legislation that I eventually was able to pass in 2000 that required, it was, it was called the Preston D. Iburn and Mackenzie Miriam Residential Pool and Spa Safety Act, and it requires when you install a new pool as of the year 2000 to put one of four safety barriers in place 
so that if supervision lapses when there's a young child around the pool, that it's less likely that they fall in the pool. That's what. And so can you tell me what those four so layers are? The, the requirement is that you have to either install a pool safety fence, a pool safety cover, a self-closing, self-latching mechanism on the doors leading to the pool area, or continuous sounding door and window alarms on the doors and windows leading to the pool area, which obviously aren't a barrier, but they are very loud. And we, we legislated the decibel level that they had to be. And so because windows are harder to climb out of, you know, the alarm on the windows was uh, was considered a, a, a real obstacle. So they, after 2000, starting in 2000, anyone who installed a pool in Florida could not get a CO without one of those four safety measures being installed. That's incredible. And, of course, you know, you do have the possibility of somebody removing them, but we did move the needle downward on on the number of drownings we had over time because, due to education and also uh, the, just putting those those obstacles in the path of children. But now we've seen an uptick, unfortunately, yeah. Well, since COVID. Yes, now, you came to D.C. in 2004 as a representative from yeah. the, from your district mm -hmm. and pretty quickly thereafter began working on federal legislation for drowning prevention. Absolutely. I mean, we passed a state law in the, at the time, the fourth largest state in the country, the, the, country, the state with the worst drowning problem. And I thought, well, now I'm in Congress. So this is, I know, a national problem. I learned it was the second leading cause of, de of accidental death for, for children under 14 and so I said, let's try to, I couldn't do it as directly because with federal law, you know, I don't have the ability through the constitution um, limits what we can do federally. Um, so through incentives and also education. Um, and then we were able to pass one requirement. Um, we were able to put together legislation that, uh, that was eventually called the Virginia Graham Baker Pool and Spa Safety Act. The first part of it, was what we were able to directly legislate because it was a, pro a, uh, a product. We, because you'd had so many suction drain entrapment accidents, I think we were, they were, there was an average of nine or 10 children and, or, or small adults mm -hmm. that died through suction drain entrapment being held on the, under the water by the pounds of pressure that, uh, that existed with those flat drain covers. So we prohibited the sale of those, and then we also required all public pools in America to switch their drain covers to the safety drain covers that are raised that cut off the suction. And um, since that provision in the BGB law passed, um, we've not had a single confirmed suction drain entrapment death in anywhere in the U.S. in a public pool. The other part of it created a grant program in which we've been able to have a national education and awareness campaign targeting swimming pool safety and drowning prevention, and a grant program to help organizations, to help local governments and state governments be able to have resources to be able to effectively advocate about drowning prevention and enforce their laws. And, and happening so soon after Zachary's death. Um, so that must have been incredibly... Um, I don't even know what adjective to use to describe that, but that must have been a, a moment that was really helpful to you and Brian to see that he's, and I'm sure sad at the same time, but um, to see that legislation pass so soon after his death. Yeah, because Zachary passed away in July of 
2007. And so not even six months or really six months later, because I think it was passed in December of 2007. Exactly. And so it was definitely really meaningful to us that this was going to, that this was happening. And after seeing, of course, um, I, Nancy Baker, right after, uh, right after Zach passed away, yeah. she had reached out to me. I remember Zach's story. Yeah. Obviously, I was paying really close attention to drownings and, and just what was going on. So. Yes, of course. Yeah. And so it began this national conversation around drowning prevention and water safety that never existed before right. and really has helped to move the movement or, you know, begin a movement because we felt like when we first started our work right after VGB was passed, that it was, it did not have the men- momentum that it yeah. does now. Yeah. That, that, that was the key thing is that for me, because I had the experience in passing the state law, you know, being able to put this issue at the top of the national legislative agenda, get le- a law passed, get funding, because by then I was also on the appropriations committee. So we were able to, I was able to not only authorize the funding, but then get it appropriated. Um, what I think we were able to successfully do is the, the loose association that families around the country had, um, having a law and a grant program that you could organize around mm-hmm. and, and an, an awareness campaign, mm-hmm. I think helped cement the movement, at least from what I can see over the years, so that you were able to use it as a vehicle rather than each in silos functioning in you know each family's own sort of sphere of influence. And so the coalition, I think, has tightened as a result of us having sort of a base to organize from in federal law. It absolutely, absolutely has. Yeah. I, yeah. And so, or at least I hope it has. No, it, <laughs> it has. has. We yes. were, we have been talking about it, yeah, and, and how it, how even the coalition has progressed so much in the last ten years that we've been involved. Yeah, and it's much. You're, it's a much more sophisticated group now, and you've. I think really, I've noticed how well you're able to work together. Mm-hmm. You work separately on your own spheres of influence, but then. The way you come together, especially through NDPA, is 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 really effective. Yeah, um, and I think my very first NDPA was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Yes, it was. <laughs> oh, really? Yes, it was. <laughs> Actually, we had our first Families United meeting there. Really? We did. Um, we it was it was actually. And I don't even know if he would believe this now, but at the time it was Brian's idea. Right. We should bring these people together. I think that was the first and only Families United meeting he's ever attended. Yes. <laughs> but he, over the years, has championed our continued involvement and wow. leadership of that organization because he really felt it was important for us all to collaborate and to support each other in the unique ways that we can. And Absolutely. so, the strength in numbers. Yeah, strength in numbers. And for me, as a lawmaker, and I was just talking about this um, a little while ago. When I bring, it helps that I can bring a variety of different stories to my colleagues, mm-hmm. so that it, you know, it's not always the same couple of families, you know, because then people start, to, you know, lawmakers start to think, well, is this just a unique, very narrow situation? 
that we really have to legislate legislate about? You know, do you really have to put fun, that, that much money behind this? So it helps get it through the funnel of of the morass of legislation when we can show that there is a diverse and unfortunately broad based group of 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 experiences that families have had that we really need the law to help solve. Absolutely. We do. And this reauthorization that's coming down the pike is going to make it even more um, accessible for families to participate in this. Absolutely. I think that's been a challenge. Um, you know, there um, thankfully are because of the work you've done much. There are really there aren't any entrapments anymore. And so much of those grant dollars, you know, are only able to be accessed by state by governments. Right. Exactly. And so now that. We're hoping nonprofits will be able to apply for that um, in states that are VGB compliant. That's going to, I think, really invigorate and support the work that's being done at the local level in ways that uh, we haven't seen before. So we're really excited. I'm really excited, too, because anything we can do, the whole point of the grant program is to incentivize Mm -hmm. what we can do federally, because that's all we can do, um, is is incentivize communities and states to put in these very essential safety requirements so that that way we make, just with the laws itself, drowning less likely. And then being able to provide access to funds to nonprofits like Sachs Foundation to help enhance that likelihood uh, of reducing drowning is, uh, is just so important. So that, that, that's why we, we reauthorize laws in Congress so that you can update them, you know, put a fresh set of eyes on on what's been working, you know, what we need to improve. And so that's the goal of the reauthorization of VGB. And as we work on the National Water Safety Action Plan, which is coming to a close, the recommendation phase of that is wrapping up. Um, We're, you know, looking to the success of the VGB and borrowing against that as we make recommendations for other areas of drowning, whether it's, you know, know, swimming in designated um, life, you know, lifeguarded areas or... Swimming Life lessons jacket themselves. Usage. Right. Swimming lessons themselves. Mm-hmm. Education in public schools for water safety and drowning prevention, just like stop, drop, and roll, and recycling, exactly. and helmet safety, and all right. the other injury issues that are covered in public schools. We're really hoping that water safety and drowning prevention can be included as Including well. Including helping the American Academy of Pediatrics to try to make sure that their pediatricians have more time to talk during a visit with their patients and their families about, you know, does your child know how to swim? You know, do you have a pool safety fence? You know, how often are they around water? I mean, when you hear advice as a parent from a respected and trusted source like your pediatrician, you know, you're more liable to think, okay, I better, I better follow these instructions. Yes, absolutely. And it's great to have them at the table also working on this. They've been a tremendous advocate through all these years that I've worked on this issue. Yeah. Yes. Um, and we're just so pleased to see them here at NDPA mm-hmm. and to be, um, actually Dr. Ben Hoffman sat in your seat yesterday and did oh, a podcast okay. interview with us. Oh, so we're just good. really excited to have that engagement. Um, whether it's my pediatrician from home or Dr. Ben Hoffman, who's leading the injury prevention group. I mean, we just are delighted to see that engagement. Absolutely. This is really, uh, it takes a village. It, <laughs> it really does. <laughs> Um, and the village is, has really gotten together and we're moving moving things forward and hope to see drowning rates coming down, especially now that COVID is... Right. Now that people are able to, you know, not 
necessarily be spending as much time with direct access to, to. their their backyard and you know you know kids who unfortunately if their parents had to work sometimes might have gotten left alone and you know there's just so hopefully we can get back to really trying to make sure we can bring those numbers down again cuz that's that's it's it's really critical i mean it's you know it hurts so much when you hear about you know a child drowning and you know gosh there's there there are things that we could have done because you know i i have twins and a, and a younger and a younger child and so i mean if there's anyone that knows that no one can watch their child 24/7 365 and when you deal with opposition to an issue like this you know some people cross their arms and say well you know why weren't they watching their child or why didn't they make sure that there was supervision around i mean when you have twins like i did um i can assure you i'm a i'm a i'm a good mom but i know that i didn't have my eyes on my chi- on my kids when they were running in two different directions and so that's what this issue is all about putting an obstacle in the path of a child to make you know falling in the water less likely and we're looking forward to to you know we know the VGB is going to be reauthorized, and we're excited about that. But we're also excited about working on other pieces of legislation yes. that um, impact those <clears throat> types of drownings that are at a much higher rate. And so, um, you know, who knows what that will look like? But we're really excited to continue There's that dialogue. There's so many different facets of this issue, and you know, I just look forward to continuing to be able to keep this issue at the top of the national legislative agenda, to recruit allies, you know, and other colleagues. I I was really glad to see how quickly I was able to pull together a group of members to be supportive of the reauthorization. And, you know, we're looking forward to, uh, to, to, to moving beyond just, you know, the, the barriers themselves or, or the, um, you know, the, the various aspects of VGB and, uh, and moving on to the other issues. Absolutely. So we wrap up each podcast by asking our guest um, to share with us if they have any hot. Well, first, is there anything else you want to add that I haven't asked you yet? No, no, no. I think we covered it pretty well. Um, do you have any fun hobbies? I have a pedi- my pediatrician was on a couple of months ago and he shared with us that he plays the accordion. So I was like, this is so interesting. We should ask each of our guests if they have any hobbies they'd like to tell our listeners about. Um, I, I taught myself to cook. Oh, um, I, I'm a breast cancer survivor, and so about uh, eight or nine years ago, I could boil water and scramble eggs, and that's mm-hmm. it. And so once I knew that I needed to change my e- eating habits and make them more healthy, I started eating clean, which is, you know, trying to not eat anything processed. And the only way I could be sure that I was going to do that is if I taught myself to cook the food I was going to ingest. Right. And so now I actually have my own Instagram account called Clean Cooking Congresswoman, oh. which is only the food that I cook. <laughs> and so if anyone's interested, you can follow me at Clean Cooking Congresswoman. But uh, I went from not being able to cook at all to being a, 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 a not bad cook. Oh, I'm definitely going to follow you. That's <laughs> exciting. Follow me. Me I never could figure out why people take pictures of the food, and now I understand. Now you know why. <laughs> exactly. And you can be proud of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's fun. I know. Well, well, I'm so glad we asked you that because we definitely learned something new about <laughs> yeah. you today. Yeah, I can put, I, I, the, other, the other thing that I do is that I am the founding co-captain of the Congressional Women's Softball Team. And so I am the cool. starting second base woman and, uh, and have played softball since I was on my, well, really since seventh grade, but played varsity in high school. And we have a congressional women's team that is bipartisan, and we raise money for the Young Survival Coalition, which is a young women's breast cancer organization. Amazing. And uh, yeah, and so we, um, 
we uh, play the co- the common adversary for uh, members of Congress, and that is the press corps. <laughs> the, the female press corps. Fun. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, that's great. So those are two fun facts. Those yes. are fun facts. Thank we you love for sharing them. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for being you. on with us thank today. Thank you for the work that the Zach Foundation does. I, it just is phenomenal. Um, your your advocacy, Karen, is 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 just so critical. And, uh, you know, it is a full court press effort. It really is. Um, everything that we can do to reach someone who may not have realized that, you know, there are so many things they need to do to, to prevent someone from drowning. Um, we know we don't know how many children that we might save, but it's it's worth the effort. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. Great to be with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you would, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We would so appreciate it. Congresswoman, thank you for being here with us today and for continuing to champion this issue. Thanks for having me. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would, please um, rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share with your friends and family. We would be so grateful. And with that, have a great week and we'll talk with you soon.